Your Most Avid Reader by Bibi Berkey. Hi, Monica. Here I am. Sorry about the radio silence. Been away. Had a lot on. Wasn't sure how urgently you needed my information, but judging by all the emails, quite urgently. Sorry. Your most avid reader, Hilary. Hilary, there you are. I'd given up on you. It's been nearly a month. I had all sorts of anxieties about having dreamt you. I was keen to hear more about the Hesiots from you, particularly as there's nothing out there about them. God knows I've been searching. You can't just leave me hanging. Gone again. I haven't heard from you since your email this morning. That was nearly nine hours ago. Are you one of those people who rarely looks at her inbox? It was always too good to be true. You're not the first reader to have come up with a half-baked suggestion. Sorry if that's hurtful. I'm just a bit surprised at you, that's all. I imagine you're off digging through dusty tomes somewhere, doing things the old-fashioned and rather more sedate and civilised way. Not an email kind of person. Such a pace of life is no longer open to me, alas. Anyway, I need to be efficient in my line of work. You have to be when you have constant demands from your agent and editor for new and original work. That's why I'm so neurotic about keeping up with correspondence. And always so anxious. Monica. Dusty tomes? Goodness me, no. Not anymore. Anyway, local records and interviews were my favourite forms of discovery in those days. Did I mention the most sententious horde of ladies? A regency group of hell-raising young women, all intellectuals and of independent mind and means, who played the men at their own game. Do you know any of them? Another potential for Marianne, I suppose. I once planned to write a book about them, and of course about my lovely Hesiods, but I just never managed to get that far. Life intervened rather spectacularly. Anyway, writing is, it seems to me, an entirely different discipline to research. I simply meander, I discover. There's an urgency about it, but it's a delightful obsession. I wonder sometimes if I have it in me to do full justice to these discoveries. Whether I could produce stories out of them, I'm not sure. I suspect I prefer the hunt. Anyway, why so anxious? A bad day, if I might ask. Your most avid reader. Yes, a bad day. Though for no external reason. They happen. I regret that I fall for them every time. Once I'm in bed, I wonder how it was that an old hand like me never saw it coming. Funnily enough... As the daylight fades, so the light slowly returns to me. I can't and don't wish to explain it. Well, I must say, Hilary, I didn't think you could come up with something even better than the Hesiods, of which I must hear more. 
But your most sententious horde of ladies, what an unbelievably wonderful name. They sound even more up my street, particularly if they can play off another group, a gang of men, perhaps. How delicious. You are helping to provide more of the light that I mentioned. Yours, Monica. But you're a writer, a successful writer, a busy one. Doesn't that sustain you, keep your demons at bay? I don't wish to talk about it. Dear Monica, first of all, I must apologise for intruding into your private life the other day. You were right to cut me short. In fact, I felt so aghast, I instantly began a new document and consigned to it, mostly from memory, I'm proud to say, the details of the Hesiod story. It still needs filling out, but I hope it's of some use to you. Take it. I'd be honoured if you found it inspiring. I'm a slow typer, which is why you've had to wait so long for this. I like printing things up and then annotating them by hand. I must be alone in still preferring the pen to the keyboard. I know I'm a throwback. My daughter was almost born typing. Yes, you're right. I have no idea how strenuous the act of writing must be. I realise that you're not only having to keep your agent and publisher happy, but also the baying masses. People like me, who assume that your stories tumble out, shiny and alluring, like so many Christmas gifts. But there must be some element of grind to it. So, here we go. Let's get to know the Hesiods. You sure you're up for this? <sighs> Hilary, believe me, I'm up for this. First known mention of the Hesiod ethnic group in England is in the early 1760s on the Lincolnshire coast. The Reverend Alfred Dyson of the parish of Thoresby provides the earliest mention. In a letter to his sister Agnes, he wrote about, I quote, a party of striking gypsies of foreign appearance who have settled themselves in the woods nearby. That was in February 1761. I've seen that letter. He describes these immigrant women as a peaceful lot, right peaceful, who cling to customs strange to us. Their women are singers and storytellers and speak of the Virgin and so must be of the Roman Church, or so I imagine. Their men, who number few, are peevish and paler and of no account. Our parishioners have nothing to fear from these folks, as I have pronounced at my service this last week. But they have grumbled and complained, and they do predict robberies and general evil. I have sought to caution them. But my flock is given to constant perturbation, and foresee danger with the arrival of any stranger to the parish. Our new visitors are constructing houses from wood, which I fear will not go well with the landowner. John has been out to the woods to speak with these gypsies, and reports that they utter our tongue passing well, but with some meanderings. They call themselves Hesiods, or some such, but John may be erring in this report. Do you know of them? You are our most learned one in the family. I saw this letter while looking through the archives of a church in the Lincolnshire Wolds. I was instantly intrigued and talked to everyone in the village. From there, I visited the local history sections of the nearest libraries in Louth and in Boston, where I discovered only two things. One, a newspaper article, written years later, but referring back to, 
I quote, the well-known troubles between our former radiant wanderers' church and the Jewesses of the Hesiod race. Jewesses? Weren't they Roman Catholics, according to the Reverend Dyson? How could such a confusion exist? I suppose that it was down to the nature of a migrant race which can't intermingle with its clearly reluctant hosts. A group of migrants is often isolated. The difference, as we shall see, is that the Hesiods had no intention of keeping themselves to themselves. The only other Boston snippet was a reference in an old land registry. It talked about... A squalid gathering of travelling folk from the east, calling themselves the Hesiods people, who have settled in woods on Mr Gilbert Cranston's land that is private. Those that are leading the group, several young women, have gainsaid our squire and refused to abandon their settlement. But then I struck gold. I was shown a small pamphlet written a hundred years later, so we're talking about the mid-Victorian times. It was by a woman called Dorothy Metlow, one of those village memoirs kind of thing. It turned out she was a direct descendant of the very first Hesiod leader. Can you believe it? And having read it through, these astonishing women came to life before my eyes. Dorothy lived in Swaby Village and liked to chronicle every little happening which you'd think couldn't have been that fascinating. But actually, all of life is there. I photocopied the whole document. I can send it to you if you want, but here's the relevant bit. You're about to meet someone quite special. I recall from my earliest childhood visiting the home of an elderly lady called Suzanne, like our Susan, but with an E at the end, who, despite her great age, was still a beauty of note. Her hair was long and always worn in a single plait, and still contained dark strands, which hinted at the lustre once contained therein. Her eyes were darker than English eyes, just like mine. Suzanne had led the tribe and come with the original settlers from abroad, from Pavladar, she explained. I had never heard such words and was drawn to her stories time and time again. She lived in an attic room in the home of an old Lincolnshire acquaintance in the high street. But in summer, she repaired to one of the last of the wooden huts that had been built by her people in the Swaby Valley. I went to visit her there once. It was August, and the sky was such a blue that it fair hurt my eyes to cast them up. I entered her hut and smelled at once the timber, as though it had been chopped from the forest the day before. The old lady named Suzanne said to me, we need wood and must live in wooden homes. We must keep the smell of trees in our nostrils at all times. It struck me as such a peculiar longing. But now, all these years later, I must admit to my own predilection for the musty odour of all things wooden. It is strange, is it not, how these preferences travel down in the blood from who knows where. Is that enough for the time being, Monica? I don't want to overload you. I could go on about them for hours, but you need to let it all sink in and to decide whether this is of interest to you. You know what's funny? It occurred to me why all trace of the Hesiods has disappeared. It's nothing sinister at all. It's just that eventually they married the locals and stopped being strangers. <laughs> Isn't it always the way? Everyday life is the enemy of the researcher.
It smooths over the bumps and oddities and erases the anomalies. Mind you, they didn't go quietly into obscurity. They caused all manner of mayhem first, a kind of sexual revolution, which is exactly why I thought they might appeal to you. Your books are always so... frank in that regard. Do they? Do they appeal to you, my wonderful, confident, hesiate women? Oh, they very much do. You can have no idea. No idea. Well, the next time I tell you about the people they ran up against, the radiant wanderers. But my hands hurt from typing now and I have things to do. Oh, what a fantastic feeling. To think all my painstaking research might finally find a home. I'm so grateful to you. This story has to be told, and I can't think of a better storyteller than the gifted Monica Malone to do it. Hillary was played by Rebecca Charles. Monica by Georgina Sutton. The male narrator was Mark Lingwood, and the female narrator, Claire Davis. Your Most Avid Reader was written by Bibi Berkey, with sound editing by Mark Lingwood. It was made by Tempest Productions and brought to you with the kind support of Rattlesnake Books, an established seller of books, maps, ephemera, art and curiosities. Rattlesnake Books can be found on Instagram, Etsy, Abe Books and Biblio. Thank you.